Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Today, we're going to go to God's Word to look at a part of the Christmas story that some of it you may be very familiar with, other parts of it you may not. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to the New Testament. The New Testament is about 60% of the way or so in your printed Bible. If you've got an app, it's easy. You just punch the button. We're looking at the book of Matthew. And really, when we get to the New Testament, we start into the stories of the life and ministry of Jesus the Son of God, Son of Man, here on the earth. Now, all throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the story of God playing out and interacting with humanity, having conversations, responding to their needs, uh, righteousness and judgment and love and grace on display. But the New Testament is where the story does transition a bit in that you start to see God in human form. There have been one or two places in the Old Testament where that is alluded to or there is the presence of God in some type of manifested form that that a human being is able to see or interact with in some way. But here is a very specific, very tangible expression of God in the flesh through the person of Jesus Christ. And so the four gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when I say the four gospels, we put them together because they are the gospels, the good news, the culmination of the Old Testament prophecies of the life and ministry of Jesus as he comes to the earth. And then after the four gospels is a really important book that I love called the book of Acts. It's kind of the hinge between the gospels and the ministry of Jesus and the work of and the ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit through his disciples, his apostles, as there's planting of churches and the establishment of the first century church. And so the New Testament is structured that way. We're going to talk a lot about that in January, but the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And interestingly, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of overlap in, their, in many of their stories. They are called the synoptic gospels because there's so much overlapping of those stories. Now, here's the way it was described to me when I was in college in a New Testament class. So this may not be your favorite example. So if not, blame my New Testament professor years ago. But if we were to all walk out of this building and go and stand on the four corners of the intersection right outside of our parking lot, and let's say that two cars very innocently, no one was harmed in the making of this story that I'm telling you, no property damage was done. It'll still cost a million dollars with insurance, but no property damage was done. That was an insurance joke. It didn't land in the first service either. Okay, so two cars bump into each other. You're on one of the corners. I'm on a different corner. Somebody else is on a different corner and another person's on a different. As we retell that story to the officer on the scene, our perceptions may be a little different about what we saw, right? It's like, oh, they turned left. Well, it's because I was seeing it. No, they actually turned right into that. Or they were flying down the hill. Well, maybe that's because I drive slow. They were going really slow. Well, maybe that's because you drive really fast. I don't know, but your perception of the events dictate potentially how the events are told. Now, we believe that all of Scripture is God-inspired, God-breathed, but he uses human beings to write those stories. So some of the accounts of the Gospels are eyewitness accounts. They saw it for themselves and recorded it into Scripture. Some of them are the retelling of eyewitness accounts. So like the book of Mark is Simon Peter's eyewitness account of the things that happened in Jesus' life. So you have these things that start to come together in the retelling of these stories that start to form different perspectives of the life and ministry of Jesus. And one of the other amazing things that, it tells, or that helps us to understand the context is who was that writer writing to? 
So I'm going to give you a couple of examples as we open up our time together today. In each of the four Gospels, there is some origin story about Jesus. Now, they all take a little different shape. For instance, the book of Mark really starts with a baptism. We're going to come back to that in a minute. So it's not necessarily his birth. It's not his family tree and his genealogy. It's this baptism event. But when he goes down in the water and he comes up, a dove descends from the heavens, and the voice of God comes out of the heavens and says, this is my son whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. So you have this connection immediately in the book of Mark that says, This guy coming up out of the water is not some average Joe. He is the son of the voice of heaven, the son of God and the Holy Spirit being present. You have the picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit present here, just a few verses into Mark chapter 1. Now, that's a powerful origin type of story. John chapter 1 also gives an origin story when it says this in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word, capital W, was with God. And the Word, capital W, was God He, capital H, was with God in the beginning. So what you have here is going all the way back, John 1, referring back to the origin of time, says that in the beginning, the beginning of all that was, the beginning of all that would be, he, capital H, Jesus, because of what's alluded to later in the next few verses and then specifically spelled out a couple chapters later, he, Jesus, was the word, capital W, not a title but a name. He was with God and he was God. So John chapter 1 gives us an origin story and tells us who Jesus was and who Jesus is. But the other two gospels here, Matthew and Luke, they give us an earthly genealogy, kind of a spelling out of the family tree that connect Jesus through his mother and through his father to those who came before and potentially those who would come after. Matthew starts it this way. So if you've got a Bible, you can go with me now to Matthew chapter 1. We'll spend most of the rest of the day in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, which means anointed one, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, I'm going to stop right there and save you from the next 14 verses. (laughs) If you've ever read Matthew chapter 1, like it's a lot. It's a lot of names. I don't want to embarrass myself, but I'm pronouncing them. I don't, I don't want to mess you up. So like, we'll just skip the next 14 verses, but here's what you need to know. If you were to read them, they're just going to tell you a lot of generational passing down. Just DNA to DNA, father to father. It's just going to tell you who's connected to who, father to mother, and all of these people that are connected in this specific bloodline that Matthew wants us to know about. And then it goes on for 14 verses, and this is what it says in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So there's a family tree. Now look, look at what it says here in Luke. This is important. We'll come back to it. Again, we're coming back to Matthew in just a second. Look at what it says in Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, you're going to the third book now, third chapter of Luke. It says this. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, comma, so it was thought, comma, of Joseph. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. 
So you have these two different pictures, even as, and we're going to go back to Luke in just a minute, even as the two family histories are being laid out, you have two different perspectives of what's important to collect here and what's important to convey. Now, why would Matthew specifically kind of trace Jesus the way that he did? Because Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. He was writing to a group of people that it would have been important to know one generation to the next generation and how they were connected. If you go to the Old Testament, when you see those people pray, the Hebrew people pray, they were praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so generations were important to the Jewish people. They needed to know how you were connected and what covenants were made with the previous generation that you were a part of so that they recognized they were praying to a God of covenant that kind of exceeded their lifespan. And so when we read through these stories, it is a great reminder that for us as Generations Church, like we didn't just try to come up with a really creative name. We believe that generations matter to God, so they matter to us. Those three bars on the front of the building, those three bars that are on hats and shirts, that's you, your children, and your children's children. This is a generational thing. And we believe that for some of you, you have received faith by accepting that faith and then making it personal. But you receive faith because it was modeled for you in your home and in your family. There are some praying mamas and grandmothers and fathers and grandfathers that have been praying for you. And so faith for you was something that you saw passed down and then had to personalize, right? But for others of you, you're in the room because you're like a first generation of faith person, You're putting a stake in the ground that says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Even though nobody before, I'm the first generation of faith, but we're going to pass this thing on and let them personalize it for themselves because generations matter to God, and so they matter to us. So Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, and he was making sure that those Jews understood how Jesus came to be and who he was and why that was important. But Luke didn't have to do that. He wasn't writing to Jews. He was writing to Gentiles. Gentiles were these non-Jewish people. They weren't at that point a part of the covenant. There's this really cool story that happens later in the book of Acts. Jesus had foretold about this thing, but it's like where the gospel is now, the good news is opened up to all of the world, Jews and Gentiles alike. But Luke is a doctor and he's writing to a group of non-Jews and his is not to make sure that everybody knows how the covenant and the generations are connected as much as he just wants you to know kind of the biology of all of it, the DNA, who's connected to who. And so he alluded to, and we read this in Luke chapter 3 at the very end there, verse 23. He said, and he was the son, so it was thought. Just so you know, DNA-wise, he was the son, so it was thought. There's some murkiness here on the details of this origin story of Joseph. And so Luke needed us to know some details here of how they were or were not connected. Now, here's what you need to know about us as a church. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe that that's not just some kind of story that's a little difficult to understand. We can't put all the pieces together, but it's easier to sing about and celebrate because it's kind of what we've sung about and celebrated all of our lives. We believe that because scripture is God-breathed and God-ordained, like we believe that when the angel spoke those words to Mary, this teenage girl, that like that was actually what took place. And it's kind of what we've been singing about and it's what we prayed earlier, like by faith, even though we can't put all the pieces together, we believe in the plans of God and the sovereignty of God. So we believe in the virgin birth. And because we believe that this biblical account of what took place and, and the conception through the Holy Spirit, these genealogies are important. This reference here to Joseph isn't maybe entirely accurate, or maybe it absolutely is, but why was Joseph included in any part of the genealogy? He was the stepdad. He was the earthly father, 
And, and the conception was through the Holy Spirit. Like, why is Joseph included here? Now, what we read in Matthew was that Joseph was married to Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. Matthew had to include Joseph because the line of the father was important to the Jewish people. But he never said that Joseph was the father. He said Joseph, who was married to Mary, was the mother of Jesus. That's important. You're like, man, I did not come for this. Well, just hang on, all right? Just hang on. This is important. This is really important. I want you to get this. Matthew needed to check the box for the Jews that were listening. To say, hey, Jesus that was prophesied in the Old Testament, Jesus that was conceived by the virgin girl, like Jesus who was sent to Egypt and Jesus who was born in, like this is the Jesus we've been waiting on and I need you to know that. But he had to connect him through Joseph. But he never said Joseph was his father. He just said Joseph was married to Mary and Mary was his mother. Luke didn't have to check those boxes. Luke was talking to Gentiles. And so when he's talking to Gentiles, he's just letting us know that Joseph, you know, some people thought he was the father. Like, I just need you, like some people were kind of connected to this. And this is important because when we go back to the story of Joseph, when we see the events that took place in Joseph's life, he was kind of connected, I think, to some of those thoughts originally, like some will think, some might consider. Look at this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, Underline this, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did, underline this, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. At the beginning of the passage we just read, I told you to underline it. Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly. According to the law, and by all appearances, she had committed adultery. Them being engaged in that culture and in that context was the same as us being married today. Once you had committed yourself to someone, it was just the formality of a ceremony, which sometimes could take a week, you know, a week-long ceremony to celebrate. But once you were engaged, you were together. And she had been, by appearances, she had been unfaithful to that. She's now pregnant, and Joseph knows, like, I wasn't a part of this. Like, there, there, there's, the law allows me to actually have her stoned because of her unfaithfulness. But he didn't want to disgrace her because he loved her. He just wanted to find the quietest way to solve the problem. So what he decided in his mind to do was to divorce her, to, to end the engagement and to separate themselves and to him go, for him to go on with his life and for her to go on with her life. He just tried, he wanted to do it quietly. But then he starts to think about it and ponder it. And then an angel appears to him 
And after the angel appears to him, I told you to underline this one, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. There was a switch in his behavior. There was a transition. There was a change in what he was originally thinking he wanted to do and what he believed the Lord needed him to do. There was a change between what is, what is flesh, what his desire, what he thought the best solution would be, and what God told him the solution was going to be through the angel. And it changed his behavior. And that switch, his obedience, changed everything for Joseph. It changed everything for Mary. Ultimately, it changed everything for Jesus. And it changed everything for all the names that we just read. That switch, that moment of obedience. Think about it. If Joseph did what he wanted, none of those people that we just talked about would have been mentioned. Like if Joseph did what he wanted, obedience literally changed the family tree. Now, why am I talking about family? I told you some of you, you showed up and you're like, I don't, I don't, why are we talking about this? When I think about family trees, when I think about like history of families, like I just think about first names, right? I don't know the names that you think about. I, I think about my mom's mom, Shirley. I think about my mom's dad, Paul. I, I think about my dad's mom, Judy. Her real name was Judith. I didn't call her either one of those. That probably would have got you a spanking. I called her Meemaw, right? <laughs> Meemaw's husband, Peepaw, his real name was YZ, two letters. They don't stand for anything. They're not initials. It's just YZ. He has three brothers, OB, LD, and RJ. And you're like, what were they thinking? What was, what's like, what's the, we don't know. We don't know. They asked my great-grandmother at some point, I was told this story, they asked her, like, what do these names mean? Like, what do the, the letters mean? And she was like, well, I don't, I don't really know. And they were like, well, how, how did you keep them straight? She was like, well, I gave them nicknames. Exactly. <laughs> so the oldest son was OB. And I'm told, I am an oldest, I disagree with I'm told oldest children can be stubborn. So OB, she called Old Bull. It's a term of endearment. And, and LD ended up being the baby. And babies can be, you know, a little, you know, so she called him Little Devil. <laughs> little Devil, right? Some of the babies in the family right now are very offended. It's, I'm sorry. YZ, my grandfather, was supposed to be the last one, so they gave him the last two letters of the alphabet. YZ. This is, this is who I come from, folks. This is my family tree right here. We're just a little group therapy session right here. My grandfather showed up to boot camp when he joined the army, and he walks up, and the drill sergeant said, boy, what's your name? He said, YZ. He said, that's stupid. I'm calling you Bill. And if you've ever met my dad, my dad's name is Bill. That's where it came from. Boot camp. Yeah. I don't know why that's an awe moment. I was just like, this is the family tree that I come from, folks. Right? And I often think when I'm thinking about family trees, I'm thinking about first names. These are people that I know. Right? And so I think, but what connects family tree? It's last names. It's the family you were born into. It's the family you married into. And so you start to connect to one another, not through first names, but through last names. Now, some families, including mine on one side, they've 
pass down first names to one another, and that's really special. That, that's a special thing. But what connects the binding piece of a family tree is last names. And while we read these, these verses of Scripture, there aren't last names specifically. Last names are kind of a new last couple hundred years construct in culture because as the population tended to grow and people moved into cities and things, like how do you keep all the Pauls straight? How do you keep all the Johns straight? There's a bunch of Johns. And so it started getting last names by where they lived and last names by what they did in a vocation. And so it started to be constructed that way and then they started to pass them down. And, and so like it's a, it's a new construct and culture by and large. And so when I read the verses here of the genealogy and the family tree of Christ, I don't have a lot of last names to connect to, but I see how this family builds on one another generationally. But I see that there came this moment, and in each of those stories, if you dig into each name, there came a moment of obedience or not. And their moment of obedience changed the family tree. It shifted for those that would come after them because they chose in that moment to trust God and believe God for that moment, not knowing that that moment would actually have repercussions, generations to come. Here's what I know that you probably know too. You can't change the stories of those who came before you, but you can change the stories of those who come after you. It's these moments of obedience when you get to a place where you have to trust God or not, to be obedient or not, to live by faith or not. And you can't change the stories that are before you, but you can change the stories of those who come after you in these moments of obedience. You can't help who your dad was. You can't change the kind of decisions that your grandparents made. There's nothing you can do with what people think when they find out who you belong to. But you can make sure that when your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids tell the story of who you are, that they talk about the word that changed everything for Joseph, obedience. He did what the Lord asked him to do. He laid aside what he wanted to do, and he trusted God enough to do what God was asking him to do. Like, instead of making up our minds to just do whatever we feel like, Instead of just deciding every single day that we're in charge and we get to decide and we make the decisions and we make the call and this feels right in the moment, what if we just said, God, this is what you're saying to me. This is what you're speaking to me. This is what your word tells me. In moments of worship and fellowship together, in, in discussion in our G groups together, like the word is alive and it's cutting into my heart and it's challenging my thoughts and my desires so instead of just doing what I want to do, God, I want to do what you want me to do. And I promise you that the generations to come will thank you for it. I promise they will. You're, you're the one who stood up for what was right, even though it was hard. You're the one who stood and who stopped the pattern of divorce in your family, even though it was hard. You're the one who got help and refused to allow drugs and alcohol to define you, even though it was hard. You're the one who prioritized family. You're the one who obeyed God. There are some things that other people decided before you were ever a thought. There are some things that other people did before you ever showed up on this earth. And unfortunately, perhaps you've had to wrestle with the consequences of those things. 
You've had to fight some battles you shouldn't have had to fight. You've had to heal some pains you shouldn't have had to experience. But can I say to you out of this story that you can change some generational curses by making some generational choices? There are some things that you can trust God for and believe God for and obey God in. And man, it's going to change your family tree. It doesn't change who came before you. It doesn't change their story, but it changes yours and it changes your children's and it changes their children's and those who would come after. You can't change those who came before, but you can change the stories of those who come after. You can break off and change these generational curses by making some generational choices. One act of obedience at a time. Our kids won't have to be ashamed of what we were. Our grandchildren won't have to fight the battles we had to fight because you just decided on a day like today. That's enough. That's enough. I've got some thoughts. I've got some things I want to do, but I'm going to lay those aside and I'm going to do what God is asking me to do. One act of obedience, one moment of trust, one moment of faith at a time. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head right where you're at. Nobody's looking around today. Just a moment of reflection between you and the Lord. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Like I'm not in a personal relationship with God, and I want to change that today. I want to change that today. If that's you, we want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it down. Anybody else? Anybody else? And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's not really salvation, but there's some generational things in my family tree. There's some stuff back there that maybe I'm not proud of. Maybe they weren't proud of it, but I'm having to fight for it, fight through it. And I want to help be a part of the solution in my family. If that's you, would you lift your hand right where you're at? So many of us today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for everything we've experienced together today. We thank you for moments of worship and moments of prayer, moments of fellowship together, community. And God, now I pray for every person in this room who lifted their hand to acknowledge their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. They've come to a moment of confession. God, would you hear that confession? If that's you today and you lifted your hand, other than me just praying, I want you to pray right now. You just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he can forgive sins and he can be the Lord of your life. The moment you confess that is the moment everything can change. And we'll celebrate with heaven for the decision that you're making right now. Just tell him. Tell him what you need him to do. And God, now I pray for every hand that was lifted so many across both of our services today. Every hand that says there's some generational stuff in my family tree I'm not proud of, that I wish was different. But Lord, they lifted their hand by faith today, believing that they could be the one that stops it for their family. There could be a change today. And God, would you do exactly what they're asking you to do? Would you heal those hurts? Would you give them the strength to stop some things? Would you give them the strength and courage to start some things? God, today everything can change because they lifted their hand and they believe that you're able to do it. One act of obedience, one moment of faith, one moment of trust at a time. 
God, we pray now in advance for the generations to come in each of those families that their lives will be forever changed because some man or some woman lifted their hand today and committed themselves to doing whatever you ask them to do in obedience. God, thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.